A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Calling all Gen Xers. Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. As we take you back to a simpler time of your biggest concern was asking Santa for an Atari or Nintendo for Christmas. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium with all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s. What's up, Gen Xers? Man, do I have a freaking show for you today. Um, And you're not going to believe it. Uh, Anybody who knows me would equate me with what this man has brought into the world. Yes, that is correct. The creator of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comic book and universe as we know it. The man, living legend, Larry Hama is here. And I should say returning because we've been very fortunate to have Larry on our program a few times on our regular show, uh, Tricky Kid Radio, before we expanded and compartmentalized into the very program that you're enjoying now. And I feel like it's for the best. And it seems like you guys are too. It seems like everybody's really digging it, man. Because, you know, if you're looking for a G.I. Joe, Larry Hama interview and you go to a thing called Tricky Kid Radio, hmm, I wonder where that is. Instead, it's go to a show called Growing Up 80s. Yeah, we might have some G.I. Joe in there. And it's much easier to find. And I appreciate you guys tuning in. Also, uh, IDW Publishing Consultant Specialist, my girl, Diana Davis. You know, we've had Diana on before as well. Her husband, Colin Davis, is also a colorist on the comic book and a master beer brewer. And uh, a few years ago, we went out to uh, their house. uh, They're in Burbank, California. And, man, we talked beer and G.I. Joe, two of my favorite things. So I encourage you to check out that episode as well as some of the previous times we've had Larry Hama on that are now part of this program. We've we've grandfathered all of that in. And uh, it's so cool that Diana is now freaking the biggest Joe fan in the world. And as you fans of of this show and also our YouTube channel, Tricky Kid TV, will recognize Diana from our short film about uh, G.I. Joe fans called Duke Be a Lady Tonight. She's a massive Duke fan. So anyway, we're about to get this party started. Uh, we did it on Tuesday as a also as a live simulcast on Twitch, which helped us reach affiliate programs. So thank you, Larry. Thank you, Diana, and everyone that made that such a, a massive success and for tuning in. And please check us out on twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. And for all of you Joe fans that tuned in, I've got a, a gift for you. I got to, to return the favor to show my gratitude tomorrow. I'm sorry. Uh, this will be airing tomorrow. So I should say tonight. It's 7 p.m. on the West Coast, 10 p.m. on the East Coast, and 9 p.m. right here 
uh, in Central Standard Time. We're actually going to do a watch-along of G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes. I actually haven't seen it yet. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, crap. If you're a Larry Hama, you know, comic book, real American hero, and we get into that, too, uh, you know, the purist in me uh, would probably disagree with how that's going to go down. And uh, so much so that I didn't even bother with those other two films, but not because I'm some snobby purist. It just seemed like it was G.I. Joe in name only. And and from what I understand, my suspicions were correct, and it wouldn't take a, a detective to, to know that. And this might be the case, too, but Larry was a consultant on this film, and I just would like to see it. And, uh, and you know, it's also kind of a bit of a companion to this episode because we get into that and like well, you know why don't they just tell the snake guy's story as you wrote it and all that but larry's the coolest man and, and what's so great is that he's still doing it he's the gift that keeps on giving man so as part of our 1982 or all things 1982 series that we've been doing we could not it would not could not <laughs> not include documenting and having a 40-year celebration of G.I. Joe, a real American hero that hit newsstands that spring and I, with issue number one, of course. I discovered it with issue three just two months later at the age of eight years old. And, of course, it was like a, a lightning bolt hit my life. And I have this man's genius tattooed on my body and his inspiration tattooed on my soul what is my literally my all-time favorite hero who is also born on the same day as my other all-time hero prince uh born on june the 7th and i hope you're also checking out if you also happen to be a prince fan you know we do the once a month special called prince the encore hope you're following along there make sure you're also checking us out on twitter growing up Growing underscore up 80s and then at Prince the Encore. Uh, and speaking of also, don't miss this Saturday <clears throat> on Twitch. I'm doing all things 1992. We had such a great time doing the 1982 again uh, stream where I played 25 games that were all released that year for the golden age of video games across four different consoles. And you can still watch that if you'd like on our Twitch channel. But now we're going to jump ahead 10 years to 1992, and I'm going to be doing 10 games that came out that year, also across four platforms. Nintendo, Super Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, and the TurboGrafx-16. So make sure you're tuning into that. That also begins at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Okay, so... You know, hey man, again, all things 1982, my favorite year as a kid, growing up in nowhere, poor Arkansas, and Larry gave two interviews, uh, and one of them was was me, man, and so that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for a kid like me that found so much life and escapism, especially, and I kind of needed it, you know, there was some challenging things going on uh, in, in my life as a young person, and so... To be here 40 years later with him, to celebrate it, and to ring that in is just a, a huge, huge thing for me personally. So we're going to take a quick break uh, to pay some bills here, and we'll be right back again with living legend, G.I. Joe creator, Larry Hama. Stick around. Creator. 
creator and living legend, Larry Hama. Larry, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you. Joining us today is IDW Publishing Story Consultant and simply just one of our favorite people. Fans of our show will recognize her from our short film on Joe fans called Duke Be a Lady Tonight. Please welcome back also Miss Diana Davis. Very grateful to you both for being here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. What a time to be able to document such an important anniversary. This right here is the special deluxe version of uh, the 40th anniversary of A Real American Hero on newsstands now. There's a beautiful forward that in here that was written by Diana. And I wanted to ask, how did you guys two meet and start working together? I first met Diana at a painting in Los Angeles many years ago. You mentioned here in your that you had received an email. So Larry, what, what went into your decision to bring Diana on to work on the book? One of the problems with, with the book is there's so much continuity. 300 issues of Real American Hero, plus special mission and dozens of other uh, it's a lot to keep track of and continuity was never my strong point you know i'm a character person i try to keep them as consistent as possible lots of times i make major mistakes you know, I, like forget who's dead you know <laughs> <laughs> there's no way to catalog a, a lot of the stuff none of the covers match what was inside the books it makes research really time-consuming, you know. I was spending all my time searching for the actual issue. And um, so I suggested Diana to IDW. And I said, look, we really need one person who could backtrack all this stuff and keep it in line. They never had one at any of these other companies. The interface between Marvel and Hasbro not the, the showrunners, so to speak. They weren't like the, the guys that were in charge of the line. You right. Know, like Kurt Bazigian or Bob Krupis or, or those guys. It was usually some 22-year-old right out of college. Who right? <laughs> 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 would know nothing about comics. And, you know, and over 100 characters, it was too daunting. So Diana, talk about, so when you got this email, did you get it from Larry or was it from IDW? I got it from Tom at first, and I think Larry had sent me a message about the same time. as like, which one do I open first? This is like Christmas. Right, um, yeah. I'd met Tom at San Diego's Comic-Con and geeked out over G.I. Joe with him. And that's the power of networking. Get out there, be nice to people. You never know when that name dangles down and someone says, oh, I know her. Everybody, uh, the comics in the 70s and early 80s was a small town. Right. Everybody in the business knew each other. So it was able to, to, to perpetuate different opportunities. So let's talk about what's in this book here. Putting together a collection, it, it had to be a daunting task. It's like the greatest hits of 40 years. You would expect issue number one. Of course, the silent issue, the origin of, of Snake Eyes. But what went into the decision of including issue number 24? to say it might have come from me. I had been asked, what are some of the best 
issues that we haven't reprinted. I got together with a few of my friends in the Joe fandom and asked them to give me a list. And 24 was a book that we all agreed on. It happens to be my favorite comic. It's notable for the book was drawn by Russ Heath. Now, Russ has a huge history. He's been in everything, a fantastic person. But he also did a lot of the model sheets for the cartoon. Larry, it was up to you and your decision. What would have made the cut besides the obvious? Well, I, I agree about 24. Russ was a personal friend and quite a character. <laughs> he was the eternal child, incredibly talented. The thing about number 24 is that it, it really does look like the animated show because he used his own model sheets. Russ passed away, what, three years ago? I, I asked about 24. It had a, a kind of a weird thing for me. For whatever reason, 24 was the, literally the last book that I got of the original 155, and I didn't actually get it until sometime in the early 2000s. It even became a game among me and my friends. This is before mail order and the internet. And anytime somebody would go to a comic book store, they were like, I know, dude, we'll look for 24 for you. <laughs> and it just... Well, you know, the days of pouring through those bins are over, I think, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I wonder how much damage we did to our lungs by breathing in there. Oh, all this stuff. So the next thing, of course, is issue 26. Anybody that knows you, Larry, knows your process, it's let whatever may come. But when we get to 26, it's such a quantum leap from everything that had come prior and such a arc in comic book storytelling. What was going on with you in your life at that time that caused you to go with something so personal? Well, yeah, it does. It did percolate for a while. You take little notes in your head and you sort of file them away. And then sometimes in the creative process, they all fall into place. It seemed like you really had something to say here. Now had a way to use your platform. There's a line in this book that actually resonates to this day. It says, this is when I guess the soft master uh, unarms the guy who's trying to rob his store. And he says, someday the politicians will learn that legislating against objects is utterly useless. And no amount of legislation will deter men from constructing bigger and better engines of destruction. Now, that's pretty freaking heavy, man. What instigated that was that I'd been reading an article about Okinawa. And it was under the Japanese rule. And the, the Okinawans weren't very happy about that. <laughs> so the Japanese prohibited Okinawans from owning knives or swords. Each village had a, a chopping block, a knife that was chained to the block. They started using all these farm implements, a farmer's sickle, and attached a chain to the end of it. And it spurred their imagination to create weapons that could defeat the samurai swords. I think the reason why it spoke to, to so many people and still does is because on the margin, on one hand, gives this realism. It doesn't ask a lot of you to suspend your disbelief. And in fact, I feel like it's not only your military service, but your commitment to the, the type of accuracy and the history behind things. I can remember feeling like smart, like I was learning something by reading this stuff. And we have that on this one hand, all the way to something like Serpentor. But 
you were now at a point in your life where now bringing people, you know, these characters are famously written about people that are actually in your real life. What was happening in your life that was now inspiring you to pull these people from your real world now into your fictional one? Well, that's what I always did. I don't think I've ever made up a character in my life. <laughs> it's my way of keeping the characters consistent. At one point, G.I. Joe was actually outselling Spider-Man at Marvel mm -hmm. at that time. I still couldn't get other work. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I got to write anything was G.I. Joe happened. And every writer turned it down. And literally, I was the last office in the world. You had to get your foot in the door. And... I had a huge amount of trouble. Even after G.I. Joe was a big hit, they all told me, oh, it's a fluke. I had been told right from the get-go, if I did a toy license book, I would be the toy guy from then on, and I would never be offered an A-list book for the rest of my life. And they were right. I was never offered an A-list book. I've got a middle finger for all those editors at that time. Please join me in congratulating the newest member of the Will Eisner Hall of Fame, our man, Larry Hama. Congratulations on getting that this year. It's long overdue, my friend. Well, it's because what happened was that all the 10-year-olds that were reading my stuff in 92 got old enough to like vote. <laughs> but at the time that I was doing all this, for the entire run of G.I. Joe, I never got invited to a single con. When the Conan licensing people sued Mattel over He-Man, they hired me as the expert witness. <laughs> <laughs> and they were able to provide a letter from Hasbro saying that I was the world's foremost authority on boys' action figures. <laughs> Because who else was? And Mattel has always been the retirement farm for the CIA. You go see guys in the toy business in New York, and they're all guys yeah. named like Murray, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah. Murray or Izzy or whatever. You know? And you go yeah. to Mattel, and it's two waspy guys wearing tan suits and rep ties and with stainless steel Rolex Submariner watches on their wrists. <laughs> and I'm thinking, where have I seen that uniform? Before? <laughs> the same guy that created the cruise missile worked on Barbie. He went directly from Raytheon Corporation to Mattel. I was on the phone a couple of times a week to the um, information service, you know, US Army Information Service in New York. I got to know the Colonel there fairly well. There was a, a bookstore in Manhattan called Sky Books International. Two floors of three aviation books on naval stuff. And, and they were like four blocks away from Marvel. And that's where I met Lee Russell, who became our technical consultant. Reading G.I. Joe was kid going to school the next day, Mr. You know, Mr. Know-it-all really served the book well. What inspired you to 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 somehow gravitate away from that into more of a fantastical type of scenario? Well, a lot of that was dictated by the direction that the Hasbro was going in. The incident yeah. with the with the dreadnoughts, with Jay right. Leno. He didn't do his bit. He just sat there and he, and he was holding up dreadnoughts 
and just reading. When we get to issue 155, of course, uh, A Letter to Snake Eyes, mm-hmm. it really felt like, now keep in mind, I was eight in 82. I'm now 21 in 95 when mm-hmm. that came out. It really felt like at that moment that, that this was you speaking directly to the fans. It was almost like it felt like I've got one shot at this. I've got one issue left, for, at least for now, to say what I want to say. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah, I wanted to, to make a lot of things clear, you know, about, um, you know, I wanted to, to reiterate that, hey, you know, you're not going to get a parade earthquake happens the windows are going to rattle first did you know this was coming at all that it was ending at 155 yeah the, the original marble run oh, i had about the three months notice something yeah. like i thought oh well you know that's a whole nother phase of my life it's uh it's gone while you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Never thought you'd be nostalgic to hear we will be right back after these messages, did you? Remember, DVRs haven't been invented yet, so run to the bathroom and get back in time so you don't miss a single moment. Hey guys, while we take a break, I wanted to tell you something about my favorite venue in Texas uh, and maybe the world over. Uh, If you have never been to the Texan Theater in Greenville, which is... Uh, it's you know a little ways north uh, on your way to Oklahoma. Uh, it's a, I guess it's about an hour and a half maybe north of, of Dallas. Uh, it is the greatest venue in the world. The proprietor, owner, and just all around badass Barbara Haran p- puts on one of the most unique experiences you will ever have in your life. Uh, she approaches things from a very different business model that I think the whole world should embrace and we would all would be uh, better for it. It's just this amazing uh, experience where you get to see uh, one of your favorite artists up close in a gorgeous venue and dinner is included, uh, unlimited drinks are included. Um, you know, she treats her staff so well, they're not getting the whatever the $2 an hour and relying on tips things. She makes, she takes good care of them. N- literally none of them have had to suffer uh, throughout the pandemic, thankfully. Uh, Barb's just a great gal, a great person, uh, very creative and just uh, just one of my favorite people. And so if you're ever in Greenville or even near, anywhere near Dallas, make a point to visit the Texan Theater in, in, uh, in Greenville. And as you know, we're working on our uh, uh, King's X film project, you know, as you know, I'm a filmmaker myself, and so we'll be should be talking about that prop maybe in the context of Tribeca soon. Uh, but we will be having the film along with a live performance uh, with King's X there at the Texas Theater uh, as soon as we can get this sucker done. So, so once again, Texan Theater in Greenville, check it out. Hey folks, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know me from such iconic classic films as Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Vulgar. Anyway, you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, this is Marilyn Gigliotti. Most people know me as Veronica from Clerks. It ain't 37. Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hey, everybody. This is actor-musician Scott Schiaffo, best known from the Kevin Smith films Clerks and Vulgar. You are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Right, so by 2010, when you got the call, 
to to be able to write these characters again. And then for us as fans, it felt like a, a very serious wrong from our childhood or even adolescence was about to be righted. Did you have any hesitation about returning? Well, first of all, let me make it clear. Nobody was offering me the, the premier book. Because everybody always thought they could do it better than me. <laughs> Many people write Spider-Man, but Larry Hama is G.I. Joe. We won't accept any substitutes whatsoever. When did you come to understand that? Not until fairly recently. I got no reviews for years. I got very little respect. How difficult it is to, to sit down every month and write a new story when nobody seems to give a shit. It's really rough. You got to really sort of force yourself to, to, to do it because, man, it's like it's going out into the vacuum. I remember about eight years ago, 10 years ago, I was in San Antonio, Texas at a con. And the con promoter comes up to me and says, you know, um, Robert Rodriguez would like to meet you. And I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why does he want to meet me? Yeah. And so they bring over this guy who was like, you know, a giant. <laughs> and he says to me, I'd like to buy a Dr. Death sketch from you. Wow. And I go, why would you want a Dr. Death? And he says, well, <laughs> when I was 11 years old, I read Dr. Death in Bizarre Adventures. And that inspired me to make my first movie. You never know who you're going to reach. You never know who you're going to touch. Yeah. And that's what started him being a filmmaker, you know, and I was like, what? I was in Tennessee and this young lady walks up, opens up this envelope, pulls out this postcard that I had sent her when she was like 10 years old and she had kept it. Marvel printed up all these postcards with uh, scarlet and snake eyes and a blank balloon. I would get hundreds of letters a week and I would choose the most sincere and I would send them a reply. That was really brought home to me by Stan Lee. I was sitting in my office with a big stack of letters and Stan sees what I'm doing. So you do a letter call. And Stan said, you should never forget that you have no idea which one of those letters is being written by some kid in an iron lawn. Diane, I wanted to ask you, I think the reason why it worked is that diversity seemed to be very important. You've mm -hmm. got strong female characters marketed primarily to young boys. Can you speak to how this spoke to you as a young girl and what led to a lifelong fandom? From my point of view, I was a tomboy growing up in a very literate, forward-thinking household. There's no girl books or boy books. There are books. So for me, picking up a comic and watching a show like G.I. Joe and having the toys... It never specifically, from my point of view, was a boy or a girl's thing. Nobody questioned them. You know, they, they did the same job as everybody else. I think reasons boys didn't buy G.I. Jane was not because boys don't like girl things. It's because those boys had been given a message that you better not. I proposed Baroness. When I put together the first issue, I realized that none of the Cobras had faces. You know, <laughs> which, yeah. which sort of is is bad for dramaturgy. 
There's <laughs> <laughs> a visual medium and your characters expressing emotions through their faces. So I said, okay, I got to come up with a Cobra that doesn't wear a mask and as a foil for Cobra Commander. So I, I talked to Herb Trimpey and I said, look, we got to come up with, a, let's call her the Baroness. And I think she should be kind of hot. <laughs> Everybody wanted that figure. So that's what Hasbro said. Oh, this is working. You know. <laughs> we got to talk about the future of G.I. Joe. I felt again that the 155 cutoff was an injustice. There's something about making it to the 300 mark that feels poetic. So, where do we go from here? Do you feel like you got more to say with these characters? I've already written number 302. So that answers your question right there. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. Issue 300 landed on the 40th anniversary. is just awesome. Again, the issue comes out on November 23rd via IDW Publishing. I want to also remind everybody that we're actually having a Snake Eyes the Movie watch-along this Thursday, November the 10th. You have to have an Amazon Prime subscription and you have to be following along here. When things started again in 2010, we've seen three movies since then. But you have written such a perfect story here. What is, in your personal opinion, is keeping them from just telling that story? Well, they, they don't seem to understand that you could update the historical stuff. And I've always said that, you know, G.I. Joe isn't a military fantasy. You know? It's a fantasy about loyalty and, and camaraderie and, and friendship. You know, because, you know, by the time you're like seven years old, you've been betrayed. <laughs> At least once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and the, the fantasy about you know being part of this group where everyone stands up for you. You know, that if you're in trouble, you know, snake eyes will come and get you. Yeah. You know. Um, and you know, everyone's on an equal footing. And uh that's that's a powerful fantasy, you know. That's why I made you know, like like snake eyes was, was faceless and completely covered from head to foot because, you know, anybody could imagine that they were him. That's true. You know. But, but everything is so perfectly on the page here. You know what I mean? Why aren't we seeing the car crash? Why not just follow that script? Well, well it's because they, they're not used to doing that. Like, look, look, I mean, it took them like seven X-Men movies for them to figure out, nobody's really interested in those other guys except for Wolverine. But that's from the production company's lack of faith in the original material. So everybody is familiar with you know, the TV show and the movies and the toys, you know, but the vast majority of your audience has never read the comic. Yeah. So you're just saying there's not a wide enough audience for it. They, that's what the, the the production people think 
But there's people like us have been waiting our whole lives for it, though. And I, and I remember you saying, Larry, that one of our previous times that you and I got together to do this, that some director said, hey, I have an idea for Snake Eyes. How about at the end, like he won't talk to the whole movie. And at the very end, he'll say something. And you told them Snake Eyes doesn't not talk because he chooses not to talk. He doesn't talk because he can't fucking talk. <laughs> <laughs> It's that kind of cluelessness. The idea that, oh, the guy can't talk. So at the end of the movie, he'll talk. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. You can't dissuade them from that. You know, yeah. I was a technical consultant on that movie. Yeah. They were paying me to ask me these questions. At a moment that he said that, I realized that I don't give a shit about any of this other stuff that they want to change. Every day I will say, he can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and they shot that ending anyway. Oh, they did? It's, yeah, it's, it, they shot it. Uh, oh my God, have you seen it? No. But, no you know, but you know it exists though. I know it exists. Well, I think what it'll take, it'll take me actually finally making that movie, and, and again, that's going to be a segue here because, of course, our iHeartRadio show, Growing Up 80s, isn't just the title of the, the program. It's also the title of an upcoming docu-series that will be coming out next summer uh, that I am the writer and producer for that will be on Amazon Prime. Where I was filming my scenes, we returned to a place that was my favorite time as a kid. And we moved there on Memorial Day weekend, 1982. So this is the very first place where I read Real American Hero on a spinner rack in Nowhere, Arkansas. And I speak up to how much this meant to me as a kid on camera, not to mention just what it scored such a great time as a kid, but also as escapism for a lot of challenges that were happening in my, my personal life and being poor and in a poor area and things like that. So... So for me, being age eight and 82, to now be 48 in 2022, to be able to celebrate and ring in this anniversary with you, Larry, it would be impossible to exaggerate its personal importance to me. And for that, I thank you. Once again, uh, I want to thank my special guests, Larry Hama, the creator of G.I. Joe, Diana Davis, consultant specialist for... IDW Publishing. Guys, again, I told you we were going to have a lot of fun today. Thanks so much, Roy. It was fun again. Yeah, Maybe the next time we do this, we'll be able to do it in person over a, a good bottle of wine or something fun yeah, like that. Yeah. So. Raise a toast to Russ. I hope to see you again both soon down the road. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bye, Roy. Thanks so much. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Once again, want to thank my special guest this week. I can't even believe I'm even get in my mouth to say it larry hama now people think of like the creator gi joe is that other guy from the 60s and i don't mean to, to dismiss the other guy he's obviously a legend too but but that was when gi joe was just like you know the branches of the military we're talking about like what we know is gi joe with cobra commander and gi joe team you know and uh <clears throat> and again like i said uh, you know there's more coming Larry's still doing this. As you heard me say in the interview, I thought it was a major injustice when he uh, got the axe in 1995. 
with issue 155 and you know i don't know is there something about the those even numbers and, and if you're a fan of gi joe we really wanted to see him make it to 200 well now he's making it he's made it to 300 on november the 23rd issue 300 comes out as you also heard there's going to be a new publisher but larry said he's already on issue 302 so you know no end in sight here so here's the 40 more years again i could not exaggerate the importance uh that this this franchise this these characters this man's genius has had on my life it would be literally impossible once again to exaggerate that and to be able to to share such an important anniversary uh in his life and in mine and again to start gray back in 82 hope you're listening to that episode too and to be here with larry hama in 2022 still writing gi joe still more to say still more fun to have and we got a lot more fun coming so once again thank you guys for joining us Uh, again make sure you're following along on twitter at growing underscore uh up 80s and hey we'll see you tonight uh for the gi joe origin snake eyes watch along at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid beginning at 9 p.m. Central Time at 7 o'clock on the West Coast and 10 o'clock on the East Coast. And please do check us out this Saturday, also on Twitch for the 1992 uh, video game uh, marathon stream that also begins at 9 p.m. Central Time, 7 on the West Coast, 10 on the East. And we'll be right, be right ugh, can't talk tonight. And we'll meet you right back here next week on the same time, same channel. Thank you, Gen Xers. We'll see you next week. And yo, Joe. Growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast. It's also the title of a forthcoming docuseries currently in production, directed by our host, Roy Turner, chronicling real events in his personal life of growing up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premier party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at Growing underscore Up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests.